Welcome to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive, featuring conversations with performing artists and industry influencers on what it takes to succeed in the arts. I am your host, Diane Foy, and I believe that you really can make a living from your creative talents. As a publicist, podcaster, and coach, my mission is to educate, motivate, and empower you to thrive with authenticity, creativity, and purpose. Hello, and welcome to episode number 18 of Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. My guest today is Bob Gruen, who is one of the most well-known and respected photographers in rock and roll. From John Lennon to Johnny Rotten, Muddy Waters to the Rolling Stones, Elvis to Madonna, Bob Dylan to Bob Marley, Tina Turner to Debbie Harry, he has captured the music scene for over 50 years in photographs that have gained worldwide recognition. Bob was in Toronto for the opening of an exhibition of his work at List Gallery in Yorkville, and that runs until July 6th, if you happen to be in Toronto, to check it out. As a photographer myself, I had lots of questions about the art of photography, and then also what his experiences were like working with some of the greatest rock and roll performers of all time. I hope you enjoy it, and for additional show notes and some photos and links, check out dianefoy.com slash 018. Welcome to the show. Oh, well, thanks for having me. You're having a show here at List Gallery, and this is your third time here? Yes. Cool. And and it's a very successful gallery, and uh, yeah. they do very well in my work. They'll be back in Toronto. Do you show different photos each time you come? Uh, it's a different selection, yes. Yeah. You know, some of the more popular favorites, of course, we repeat, but there's a lot of new ones. There's a whole series of silk screens of my work that I've done that they have here now. I saw that, and I really loved the diamond sprinkle. Well, tell me about that process, because that's something um, I haven't seen before, and I thought it well, was really cool. Well, I work cool. with a printer called Gary Lichtenstein from uh, Lichtenstein Editions at Mana in New Jersey. He's very excellent at translating my photos into silk screens. It's a completely different process. Um, and some of them, you look at them and they look simple. Even a black and white might have seven or eight different um, tones of black and white. Uh, so it's seven or eight different screens to make that print. Right. And then he covers it with a glitter uh, kind of diamond dust effect that makes it really sparkle and shine. And, uh, you know, for certain ones, for the Tina Turner one and the Debbie Harry one, we put uh, the diamond dust on it. Yeah. Um, and it gives it a very, very special, exciting kind of look. Uh, it's kind of a new direction, a way to produce my photos with a new look to them. And how do you decide which photos you're going to do that to? And I um, saw also some photos were completely covered in the diamond dust, mm. and then there's some that just had little Yeah, with the McJagger, and there's a matching Keith Richard that goes with that, where the diamond dust is just in the lights to make the lights glow and shine right. a bit more. Uh, it's something I work with Gary at. Gary's uh, had 50 years experience silk screening, so he knows yeah. more about that process than I do, and I, I usually follow his lead uh, with suggestions because he knows what to suggest, and I don't even know what can be done. Right. So uh, a lot of it is, is working with him and working with such a great printer that we come up with these good results. Oh, yeah. I totally want to do it to one of my photos. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, especially the Debbie Harry one. That was really cool. With the well, covered. the silk screen process itself is not that difficult, although you have to have the equipment to make the screens yeah. or go to some place where they can do it you know, with you. But to do it well, like any art, uh, it takes a lot of talent. 
Yeah. You know, anybody can pick up a pencil and draw something, yeah. but to draw something realistic or something pleasant, it takes a lot of talent. And, mm. and Gary's got a lot of talent, which is why I've been making these silk shoes with him. Yeah, yeah. I'd want to get in there and actually sprinkle the <laughs> thing to my own. Well, you own. can. I mean, you, you apply it in certain places as you like. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's not very different from what kids do in you know school, where they Throw put glitter. glue down and you put some glitter on it. Yeah. Uh, it's just a more sophisticated way of doing that. Yeah, and it probably lasts a lot longer. Uh, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> hope so. Yeah. supposed to. Yeah. What are some of your favorite photographs that you've taken? A lot of them. I have a lot of favorites. Luckily, I've taken a lot of pictures that I like. Um, but most particularly the Tina Turner picture. It's a multiple image uh, where Tina was dancing with a strobe light flashing, and I took a one-second exposure that caught five different images of Tina dancing. Oh, cool. um, There's a picture I took of John Lennon at the Statue of Liberty which I think has a lot of meaning beyond just rock and roll, where I think John and the statue are symbols of personal freedom. Mm-hmm. And so I think that picture resonates with a lot of people. Because, uh, you see, for me, rock and roll in general, rock and roll is about freedom. It's about the freedom to express your feelings very loudly in public. Right. And I try to capture that in my photos. Uh, a lot of people's photos will show you the facts, but I try to show you the feelings. So when people see my pictures, they actually get a feeling of excitement, a feeling of freedom, a feeling of presence, a feeling of being in the moment and being alive. That's what I try and show in my photos. Is this something you always wanted to do as a child? Were you always taking photos? or how uh, did you I learned photography here? from my mother when I was literally four or five years old. My mom's hobby was photography, and she used to develop and print her own pictures. And when I was very little, she took me in the dark room and showed me how to do it. And uh, I, I enjoyed the process, and I took to it right away. And actually, when I was eight years old, they already bought me my first camera, a brownie, Kodak Brownie Hawkeye, a very simple box camera. Yeah. Um, but I used it to take a lot of pictures and start to, uh, I learned how to take pictures of my family. Yeah. And I think that was great training for taking pictures of rock and roll bands. Uh, it basically taught me how to take uh, five or six dysfunctional people in one sixtieth of a second where they all look good. <laughs> um, and that's what you have to do with rock bands. So that's what I learned from my family. Yeah. And then how old were you when you started doing rock and roll photography, like taking um, well, pictures of Well, after high bands? school, my, my idea was to turn on, tune in, and drop out. That was very popular in the 60s, and I dropped out to live with a rock and roll band. Uh, my hobby was always photography, so I always took pictures of my friends. And when the rock band got a contract, a record contract, they were called the Glitter House at the time, uh, having nothing to do with glitter. It was pre-glitter moment, uh, but they were named the Glitter House, and they got a contract with Bob Crew, the famous producer, and the record company used my photos, and they hired me to take some pictures of another group, actually Tommy James and the Shondells. I think it was one of the first I got hired for. Uh, and then one thing just led to another, and then I met Ike and Tina Turner, and my first album cover was a Tina Turner album cover. And um, it just snowballed. Every time I took pictures, I met somebody, and I took pictures for, for them and for more people. And, yeah. Uh, a lot of your um, photos are very either live or very candid. Do did you do a lot of photos that were more staged? And did you get into, like, studio lighting and all that kind of stuff? Um, I don't do a lot of stage shots or studio shots. I, I did take one course one time in studio techniques, so I know how to set up some lights in the background. Right. Uh, it comes up once in a while, but I'm much more comfortable um, doing something live. I would rather be, and I've done this many, many times when a band is about to go on stage, and it's like the last call and you're in the dressing room just before they go on and they've got their outfits together and they're feeling pumped and they feel like a band and they look like a band and the audience is chanting for them. I would rather take 10 pictures in that moment 
Right. Then take a hundred pictures on a Saturday afternoon of them trying to pretend to look like that. Right. Right. You know, because it, when when it is like that, and you get that reality moment, uh, it's actually it's a lot easier than spending all day trying to pretend and recreate that. Yeah, know? yeah. I started out as a photographer, and I found I went to a two year photography school where we taught all the rules, mm. all very technical, and it, it was hard to kind of go from that to breaking the rules, mm. and. I find well, luckily I never learned any rules. <laughs> no, I know you could just be free. <laughs> um, but I found when I did kind of find my groove, I did like location shoots more. Mm. I did do kind of stage shots, but it was more out in the environment. Mm. Let's mm. you know where you're comfortable with. Mm. Um, but I'm curious. For me, I find I'm very critical of my own work, and. There's so many great shots that are not completely in focus and not mm. perfect. Mm. <laughs> and did you ever struggle with that? Or you're just oh, like... Oh, yeah. Loads of my, most of my pictures are not perfect. Yeah. Uh, and lots of them are not in focus or uh, wrong exposure and things. Yeah, yeah that's why uh, I always tell people you have to take a lot of pictures. And if you take a lot of pictures, you're bound to get a couple of good ones. Yeah. And if you only show the good ones, people think you're good. Yeah, uh, I would never show my contact prints because if I had one or two good pictures on a roll, people would see 35 bad ones. Yeah, <laughs> <You know>? true. <laughs> um, so I try to show only the good pictures. And um, how do you know if, if there is a photo that is not quite perfectly exposed or, mm. or uh, in focus, how do you know if it's still a wicked photo? <laughs> Well, whether or not it's, it's talking to you, whether or not it's saying something, whether or not it has some feeling. Yeah. Uh, if you're getting feelings from it, it doesn't really matter if you're getting the details or the facts. True. For me, it's more important to get the feeling. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, they used to make fun of me because a lot of my pictures are not sharp focus. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, talking to John and Yoko one time, they were teasing me about that, and I brought in one of the contact sheets and showed them that, in fact, a number of my pictures were actually very sharp and clear focus, but they weren't the good one. They didn't capture that the good the one might have a slight blur or slight, you know, motion to it or slight softness to it that really brought out the feeling of it. Right. And so the pictures that we were picking that we liked were the pictures that happened to have that soft focus. Yeah, uh, I actually have done it long enough that they call it that, uh, a certain thing. They call it a soft focus photo uh, because they don't all have to be sharply crystal clear. Now, in school, if it's not crystal clear, it's wrong. Right. Uh, since I didn't go to school, I didn't know that was wrong, and I called it good instead because yeah. a lot of people, <laughs> you know, kind of like the ones that have the more feeling. I also found at, when you're taught with old school film, you kind of have to be a good photographer because you only have those well, you only 12, have a 24 amount of film, shots. You only like, you know, 12 frames on a big roll or 35 on a, a you know, smaller roll of film. Yeah. Um, and if you went over that limit, if you wanted to take 37 pictures instead of 35 and you had to put a new roll of film in, that yeah. roll of film cost you $8 and another 15 to get it developed. Yeah. So before you spent another $25, which is a lot of money in 1970s, yeah. um, you would have to think about whether or not you really wanted those extra two photos. Yeah. Uh, so often you get down to the end of the roll and you're kind of thinking economically, like, do I need a picture of that person? Really? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes you decide whether or not you want to shoot an extra frame just based on how much it's going to cost you. Right. And have you made the switch to digital yourself? Yeah. The, wor the world's changed to digital, so I did too. Yeah. 
Um, through the 90s, you could still take pictures, uh, you know, sending a magazine a slide or a transparency. But after 2000, um, you couldn't send a slide or a transparency to a magazine. You had to send a scan. They stopped scanning them for people. Right. Um, and so as long as you have to send them a scan, you might as well just take it as a scan because um, it saves a lot of time and trouble. Scanning is not as easy as putting a, a picture in front of a scanner and pushing a button because once you scan it, you then have to clean it and balance it, and that can take hours per photo. Right. So um, I'd rather just shoot you know, digital. Uh, I started around 2000 when the digital cameras uh, got to be good enough quality that you could sell a photo. And do you find that you still kind of stick to less photos? Because I find people no. now that have come into the digital and they've all, that's all they know. Well, I've always you know, had an economy of uh, shooting, uh, I don't just bang away and take a hundred pictures because there's too many to look at later, you know. <laughs> and that's <laughs> I try a lot to of editing, <laughs> so uh, I, I can get through the editing process. Um, but yeah, it's easier knowing that you can just erase the chip and reuse it. You know, of course, then you have to buy a new three thousand dollar computer. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, there's you know always expenses in photography. It's a, a very expensive hobby, which is why I started selling pictures, right, to pay for the you know hobby. Do you have advice for photographers starting out? They they want to get into entertainment photography? Uh, nowadays, I don't really know what to tell somebody. Um, I mean, I always got to meet bands. It's easier if you go to a club or something during sound check and actually meet the manager, talk to them. Uh, if you do take pictures to try to get the pictures to the band. so Because uh, they're the first ones that might want to use them. Mm -hmm. uh, they might tell you of a magazine that's interested in, you know, that's done an interview that you could sell your pictures to. Um, so it's always a good idea if you're really, uh, to try, you know, into it to try to meet a band during sound check. Right. Because uh, during the show, they're busy. Actually, they're usually busy during sound check. So if you get there early and not try to intrude, but wait till there's a moment to reach somebody and talk to them. Right. Um, but it's very frustrating. I mean, a lot of uh, record company people are trained to answer the phone and say no, no matter what you're asking. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it depends on the act. But um, So sometimes if you can get to the band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what about the other way? So performers, maybe they're just starting out, they don't necessarily know what to give photographers mm. or they're uncomfortable. Mm. What advice do you have for performing artists that, are, that they want these amazing shots of themselves but well be amazing be amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, you can't manufacture an amazing picture of somebody who's doesn't have that personality right uh, i actually did a panel at south by southwest once with uh, john Vavardos and jesse mallon and a few other people vp fallon and the main question we were trying to answer was whether or not you can teach uh someone to be a rock star Right. And the basic answer we all had was no. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can sell them some nice clothes, but if they don't know how to wear them, they're just not going to look cool. Uh, cool is not something you can teach. Right. Uh, it's charisma. You know, people are born with charisma or not. Right. And, um, you know, there's some very talented people who just don't have that charisma in a sense. Um, you know, taking a lot of pictures of Eric Clapton, he has one expression. <laughs> uh, he's got a lot of music. Right. But, you know, as far as photos, you're not going to get a picture of him looking like Tina Turner. Right. Because he just doesn't do that. Yeah. There's, you um, know, like with the Tina Turner picture, is one of my best. And sometimes people have asked me if I could take a picture of them looking like Tina. And I always tell them, I'll do what I did and you do what Tina did. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yes and no. You know, you can't really teach charisma. Right. 
maybe could it be from when you're on stage to at least make a point of playing to the cameras or? Well, play to the audience, you know, and if the audience is the camera, yeah, play to them. Uh, I mean, sometimes it's awkward when people just stand there and they have one expression and they have no clue what to do. Uh, yeah. For me, this is show business. You know, put on a show. Yeah. That's what it's all about. If you can't put on a show, get in another business. There's know? a live performance coach. I don't know if you ever met him, Tom Jackson. No. And he teaches um, every song that you have. It doesn't sound the same, so why does it look the same? Right. So it's kind of... Well, ask Alice Cooper about that. His his show is a complete uh, theatrical play. Every song is a... a theatrical production yeah uh you know he really puts on a show yeah and a, and a number of people do uh, in their own way without too many props green day always acts out each show each song you know um, and they get the audience involved uh, i've always liked an act that actually talks to the audience and uh and wants to entertain the audience wants to be involved with them yeah um, a, a band that just comes out and plays their songs you know nervously to try to sound just like the record you don't have to buy tickets to go see the record. You yeah. already have the record. You can listen you know. to that at home. <laughs> uh, let's see a show. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it's smoke and lights nowadays, but uh, that can be done very well. It can be a very exciting uh, spect spectacle. You know, people like spectacle. Going back to Roman days, people like spectacle. So let's talk about some of your photos that are being shown here. I'm a Debbie Harry fan, so uh, if you want to tell me anything about Debbie well, Harry. Who's not a Debbie Harry fan? <laughs> Uh, it was an interesting shot. It looks like there was like a roller coaster in the background. Uh, there was a, a day where Punk Magazine was making a photo novella of uh, a day at the beach. Uh, it's actually aliens come out of the ocean and try to kidnap Debbie and Joey Ramone saves her from the aliens. It's a very <laughs> funny little comic book in, in the middle of one of the Punk Magazines. Uh, and a lot of my friends were out there that day. I didn't actually take the pictures for Punk that day. Uh, but I took some other pictures of uh, Debbie and Joey and so on around the beach. Uh, and that's just what Debbie's like. Uh, that was not a setup. That was her walking across the street towards me. Right. Uh, that's what Debbie looks like. Uh, yeah. The hottest girl in America. <laughs> uh, and she still looks that way. Yeah. You know, she's, she's got that charisma we were talking that's about. That's the thing, I think. <laughs> you know, she can look really cool. And she's Well, you just can't take a bad picture and, of Debbie Harry. She yeah. just looks too cool. And you have a lot of John Lennon. Yeah. Like you were close with, with him. Did you shoot him through... You know, through the years, or was it? A, well, I met him a period shortly after they came to New York. Uh, I was asked to take pictures for an interview for Interview Magazine, no, actually for After Dark Magazine, and um, so I met him through the interview. But the story we were working on actually was not necessarily about John Yoko; it was about the Elephants Memory Band that they were using as a backup band at the time. Okay. Yeah. So I went to the studio with them and took some pictures of them together with the band, and then they liked those photos and they used them in their album cover for the Sometime in New York City album. And uh, that's how we met, and they asked me to come around more often, and they actually lived around the corner from me, half a block away. Um, they met my wife, and she started working as their assistant, and uh, just through one thing or another, we got to like each other and spend more and more time together. Uh, it's very hard to tell somebody how to become friends with somebody. Like, you can't just walk in and say, I want to be your friend, you know? Yeah. Um, but since high school, I always gravitated towards the artistic side, towards the musicians and the theatrical groups. Uh, those are my after-school activities. Um, and after school, uh, I ended up hanging out with musicians and yeah. artists. And you just bring your camera. Just, uh, I, I didn't approach uh, rock and roll as a journalist to record it. I, you know, uh, I, the rock and roll lifestyle is my lifestyle. I'm up all night. I go to clubs all the time. Yeah. Um, 
that's how I live. And so I was just kind of photographing my life. And what about Elton John? Uh, well, Elton, actually, right after I met Ike and Tina Turner, I uh, got introduced to a publicist who introduced me to another publicist. And I remember when he was uh, in the office at MCA Records talking to the publicist into hiring me to photograph this new piano player that was just coming over from England. Uh, nobody had ever heard of Elton John. And so I photographed him at the Fillmore first two times. He played there twice. Because uh, the first time I, he played there, he liked my photos and had me come back. And then... I think the next two times he played at Carnegie Hall and then he played Madison Square Garden and I worked with him for the first five or six years that he was uh, coming around in America. Oh, cool. And, and he's a wonderful, really Back nice then he guy. was very dramatic. And, and the most <laughs> exciting performer and I remember when I first got the assignment, uh, the assignment uh, to go and photograph a piano player and it's always really difficult and I was kind of very young and just beginning at that point I was like how do you get a picture of a guy behind this giant piano? He's like, you get a little bit of his forehead or something. You yeah. Know? Uh, but Elton jumps around, he stands on top of the piano. I have a great picture of him, horizontal, uh, with his legs straight out behind him, with his, only his hands touching the keyboards. Uh, <laughs> it's actually in the movie that they just made. At the end of the movie, you'll see that picture. Oh, cool. Who else is out there? Kiss? Uh, I did a lot of work with Kiss. Uh, I photographed them when they first did a big show, uh, New Year's Eve opening for um, Iggy Pop, the Academy of Music. And I remember going and photographing them. Uh, and then back afterwards, going backstage, because I always would take pictures of the band backstage with whatever celebrities were around to come say hello. And the manager met me at the door of the dressing room and said, we don't take any pictures backstage. When the makeup comes off, there is no band. That uh, All the pictures you take of Kiss are back in the ten, first 10 or 15 minutes uh, before the show. They would put on their makeup. Then we would spend about 10 or 15 minutes doing so-called normal things, like they would talk on the telephone or... Um, walk around in the hallway or look at a newspaper or all kinds of normal activities as if they were always kiss. But we literally had 10 or 15 minutes to do that <laughs> from the time the makeup was done till they had to go on stage. And then once they went on stage and the makeup would run, uh, when they came off stage, they wasn't kiss anymore. Right. <laughs> uh, they were only kiss when they were in their identity as kiss. And it really is an identity. You know, I did a photo novella with them where uh, it starts off where they're wearing suits because they're incognito in their plain clothes outfits. Of course, you know, with suits on, you'd never recognize with that face that they were really Kiss. The <laughs> uh, Cream Magazine had a lot of fun with things. Uh, they were always making fun of things. Uh, so we did a series with them first uh, wearing suits on, and then we went back to my studio, and they put on their Kiss outfits, and I was changing the film in my camera and at one point I kind of felt this presence behind me and and Gene had been in the studio you know when we came in uh, wearing this suit actually my suit they didn't have their own suits Gene and Ace are wearing my suits in that picture um, and I felt this presence behind me I turned around and Gene was now Gene in the monster in Kiss and he was about a foot and a half taller than me and he was this monster he, he was no longer the nice Jewish guy from Brooklyn that I had just been telling jokes with. He was this giant monster <laughs> standing around behind me. Uh, I took my son to see them when he was five years old. And we came backstage and my son was terrified. He was like hugging my leg, hiding behind me when I I'd tried be to introduce him to I would Gene. be the terrified kid going, I can't. Yeah, he still remembers it actually. He's like, Dad, what were you thinking? <laughs> Did you ever photograph them like after in the 80s when they did take the makeup off? It wasn't the same for me. No. And uh, when, once they got with Doc McGee, uh, they left the original manager, Bill O'Coin. Uh, things got much more corporate. And 
It, it, for me, without the makeup, it, it, it wasn't, wasn't the same excitement. Right. I mean, they're a great band, but even they, you know, after a while, I had to give it up and go back to being Kiss because that's what they're best at. Yeah. You know? uh, they're the best Kiss around. They're much better than any of the Kiss imitations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In one of the books, I saw Susie Quattro. Susie's one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, she was amazing. She was a really powerful woman at a time when there weren't, weren't very many women uh, being powerful in rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, but I've had the luck to work with Tina Turner, uh, Patti LaBelle, uh, Debbie Harry, uh, Susie Quattro, Joan Jett. Um, you know, All the best of, rock uh, and roll Patty tricks. Smith. Yeah. Uh, a lot of pretty powerful women, you know. Yeah. Uh, and but Susie was one of the early ones and one of the best and uh, certainly one of the sexiest. Yeah. And uh, she was opening for Alice Cooper when I met her. Uh, I did a lot of different pictures for her. Actually, one of them was an album cover, a picture of her uh, silhouetted against the sky. Uh, it was kind of funny. I remember the last time she played in New York was many years ago, um, like 1979, I think. And my son was about five years old at the time. And I told him we were going to go see Susie Quattro. He's like, oh, Dad, we're always going to see your friends. Who's Susie Quattro? And I said, Chris, you might not know her. She, she plays on TV. She's called Leather. And he was like, oh, my God, you know Leather? On it was Happy a whole Days. different thing. You know, it was once Susie got on TV, she became famous in Happy Days as yeah. uh, Leather Trucadero. That's how I knew uh, her yeah. when I was a kid. <laughs> was I was like, it's But she leather. does some great hits. She was a rock and roller. Uh, it's always interesting to me to see what draw, when people come to my house, I have 27 file cabinets with the names of different bands on the front, and it's interesting to see who goes for the Kiss draw, or who goes for, you know, uh, Joan Jett went straight for the Susie Quattro draw. <laughs> I discovered her from Happy Days like everyone else, but then it was years mm. later that I discovered that she was actually a rock star in real yeah, life. Well, and- I met her when she was playing uh, opening for Alice Cooper on a tour, yeah. and it was only a couple of years later she got into the TV. Joan Jett always says Susie Quattro was her influence. If there was no Susie Quattro, there'd be no Joan Jett. Right. Rolling Stones. Well, the Rolling Stones were the first band I saw in a theater. Uh, in 1965, I saw them at the Academy of Music. I got my first photo pass to shoot them in 1972. Uh, one of the most exciting nights I've had. Uh, the, the Rolling Stones are the epitome of rock and roll. Uh, if you want to know what rock and roll looks like, you just look at the Rolling Stones. Right. Any era... They look like rock and roll, and uh, and they've always been one of my favorites. You know, and in, in the, they talk about the 60s where you blew or were, were you silver or gold. I'm silver. I like the Rolling Stones. Yeah. You know, the Beatles were good, but uh, I like the Rolling Stones. The little, you know. little danger yeah, a lot in of the danger, music. You know, and just the publicity campaign, would you allow your daughter to marry a Rolling Stone? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great line, you know. I don't and, think and I've heard that before. Had a kind of danger to it because it's about freedom, and people have always been afraid of freedom. Uh, there's a great line in the movie Easy Rider where Jack Nicholson says, "People talk a lot about individual freedom, but when they see a free individual, they get scared, and that yeah. makes them angry." And that's a very powerful statement. And it's hard, and I think, true. as an artist, that you come across that you're trying to do your thing, and everyone tells you you can't do that. You can't do that. You shouldn't do that. And it's basically they're scared and they have to well, kind the of put that of on art, you. The job of an artist is, is to imagine. Because uh, if you don't, uh, like John Lennon said that when you're in school and you're daydreaming, people would you know, smack your hand with a ruler or something. But it's the job of an artist to daydream, to imagine something new, and then to pursue that and try to express that and, and tell people about that. And uh, like Andy Warhol said, don't worry about any kind of criticism. You shouldn't pay attention to that. The job of an artist is to make the work not to read the criticism. And 
you know, some artists get recognized and some don't, but your job is not to, whether you're being recognized or not, is to make the art. And uh, that's why a lot of people don't make very much money, but you make a lot of art. <laughs> it's the life of musician. And uh, there's a famous phrase, uh, Ars Gratia Aris, which means art for the sake of art. Uh, I kind of modified that, Ars Gratia Pecunica, which means art for the sake of money. Because you want to make art, but you have to pay your rent. <laughs> yeah. So. Who do you, do you still shoot anything? I saw like the most well, recent would a, be uh, like Lady Gaga. Side oh, well, actually the most recent is Green Day. Green Although Day. the picture here in the gallery is an earlier one. Uh, but I've been shooting Green Day. Um, that's m mostly the main band I've actually been working with for a yeah. long time now. Uh, I've been taking their picture for 25 years. Oh, wow. And in September, my next book coming out will be a book of Green Day photos. Oh, cool. Um, so I may not be taking as many as I was <laughs> because yeah. I'm, I'm making the book now. I'm kind of done with that set, you know, uh, statement. And um, my next book after that is going to be a biography. And then we'll see where we go from there. Oh, cool. Now that you're not doing it as much, shooting rock stars, do you take photographs? Have you gone in any other directions with photography? I take a lot of pictures of my grandchildren. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just family photos. And I still like rock and roll. I still go out all the time to see shows, mostly friends that are playing, and I still have the urge at some point to go and take pictures and record it. And I put a lot of that on my website, bobgruen.com, uh, and you can see all my recent work and where I've been and what I do. And, okay. Uh, but I, I don't, uh, you know, the kind of magazines I worked for don't really exist anymore. Yeah. And, and uh, even Rolling Stone is not a monthly magazine. It's a daily website. Yeah. And that kind of pressure to... You know, take a picture on the first song and have it posted around the world before the guy finishes singing. Yeah. Uh, it's not something I was ever really into. So, yeah. um, and they limit the access so much now that it takes a lot of uh, email and begging and justifications. Just True. To get in Most front photographers of a band. don't get backstage. And, and, uh, and not even backstage, not even front stage. If you're in front of the stage, you're allowed to be there for three minutes three or three songs or something. And I'd rather shoot the last three songs when everything's emotional and all the excitement is happening and yeah. the confetti's flying and all the spotlights are on than the first three songs when the band is just trying to get the audience's attention. So you, your website, do you, are you active on social media? I wouldn't say active. I do have a Twitter and a you know, Facebook and Instagram account. Uh, mostly I just put up uh, notices for my exhibits, and we've started a series... Um, a random series where every few weeks I'll put up, uh, you know, what happened on this day. Uh, Rolling Stones did this, or Alice Cooper and Dolly happened on this day, and things like that. And, oh, cool. Uh, and I've actually been getting a lot of hits for that. Um, I think I'm up to about 15,000 followers on Instagram, so oh, wow. it gets out there. Well, definitely Instagram is for photographers. That's the site well, you want to be on. The thing is I had about 1,100, I think, and then I posted a picture of Green Day and Billy Joe... Uh, Posted it, you know, reposted it on his site, and he has like a million followers. Yeah. So all of a sudden, the next day, I had 10,000. You know? So it's been building up, and probably after the book comes out, I'll get a lot more. You know? Anything else that you want to share, add? Uh, well, just I hope people come to the List Gallery here in Toronto. Uh, yeah. The show's going to be up for about two weeks, I think. Yeah. And uh, we've got a lot of great pictures here, things to see, things to buy, take home, enjoy. Yeah. And uh, the photos make a great investment because it's like any other art. They do... Um, increase in value um and it's not like a stock certificate it's something you can buy that'll increase the value that you live with right. uh, you buy something you really enjoy you put it on your wall uh billy joe Armstrong actually has a picture of john and yoko uh that he says reminds him of him and his wife uh, it's a picture of john and yoko in the recording studio 
Wow. Uh, and every time Billy Joe wakes up, he sees that picture in his bedroom and uh, he knows it's time to go to the recording store and get back to work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's great. And do you limit how many of each particular photo that you allow? Well, in the sold? larger sizes, they're limited. Uh, I was making so many pictures before we started the editions that I haven't editioned the, the smaller ones that we were already selling. Uh, but the larger prints that we've started selling they are numbered and editioned. And silk screens are, uh, are, are limited. Oh, cool. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you. I learned a lot. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. Be sure to join the mailing list at dianefoy.com to gain access to exclusive bonus content, a weekly newsletter, and an invitation to our private Facebook group of purpose-driven performing artists and industry influencers.